Good Sunday afternoon, and thank you so much for tuning in to Talk Jive Radio and our next episode of the Sunday Social. I'm Kelly, and today I'm visiting with Dr. James Welsh IV. He is an associate professor of history at the University of Science and Arts of Oklahoma and our resident millennial, Katie. She's also part of the public policy program here at USAO. Thanks for coming in and talking, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Kelly. So let's talk about public policy. What is it? Why do we care about what it sounds boring? What is it? Well, it it could be boring, except for the fact that all of our decisions that that, uh, the government makes, and including nonprofits make, about our daily lives are affected by policy decisions. And so let's break it down. So you got public and you got policy. Policy is the ability to try to formulate what's in the best interest of most of the people, whether that's in in a location or whether that's in a region or a state. And so you do that by, first of all, determining what are the problems you need to solve, uh, what's going on in the community, what what problems do they face, and then trying to find find solutions. You find out those solutions by bringing uh, together stakeholders who discuss what the problem is, uh, what different solutions for it are, and then you also go through and you gather data. You determine what is really going on here, what's causing it, what can we do to fix it, and most importantly, when you, when you propose a solution to a problem, you actually go through later on and test how well is this working. You evaluate your progress, and if it's not working, you fix what's not working and you go on, and that's, that's how policy is done. Now, the harder thing is public. And so, what is the public? Any, any ideas, oh, kids? Lord. Well, I, to me, it would just be a, the average everyday citizen who well, makes, up the, makes yeah. up the constituency. You make it the constituency. Actually, it's really the voters, because the voters okay. are the ones who, who decide. And even though they decide for everyone. The public is just the all-encompassing everyone, every man, every, every component of that community. Well, first of all, what is average? And second of all, what is every day? You and know, third of all, who are the people? <laughs> and so, but the, this is the big, big problem of democracy is that, you know, when you look at a constituency, it's, it's a bunch of people from uh, different walks of life, with different ideas, uh, different cultural perspectives, different political ideologies uh, that are somehow supposed to come together and agree on what their common good is. And so one of the big tricky parts of public policy formulation is how you negotiate between all of these different constituencies that, that often might be in open conflict with each other. Uh, and, and of course, that's what we're facing in, in the political climate today. And so you have to have mechanisms in place that allow people to communicate with each other productively and then come to decisions. And, and this is even um, probably the most important part, come to decisions that you may not agree with yourself and say, that's okay, we're going we're gonna to try it this way for a while and see if it works. And, you know, that's, that's part of the responsibility of being in a democracy is that you don't get your way all the time. Uh, and you have to cooperate with other people that you you may have a lot of problems with because you're part of the same community and you're trying to work towards the common good. Defining that is a is a problem, and it's and, and you don't define it; you negotiate it. 
And so you need people to help you step in and, and work that out. So how, what is the best way though? What is the route? Because it's like you said, in today's political climate with, I mean, it just seems, it seems like it's getting out of hand. This is, the, I mean, I feel like we're in a place where I can't even imagine that we would ever be. And, and so how do we, who fundamentally, you know, I fundamentally disagree with a lot of the policies that are being implemented and the environmental regulations that are taking out and different things like that. But there are people who actually want that and agree with that. So how do you, how do you bridge that gap? How do you come across there to where people who are diametrically opposed to each other with their opinions and their philosophies. How do, how do we make that bridge to where we can have that rational discourse? Because that's what we're missing is the rationality of it. I think. Well, there's a, there's a lot going on there. Um, first of all, it seems like things are getting really, really bad, but if you look at American history or just history of any country, we go through this, we go through this a lot. Um, you know, we, we had this during, uh, you know, uh, problems with uh, uh, the abolitionist movement. Uh, you had, uh, had a huge stir up with the Jacksonian Democrats back in the day. I mean, historically, uh, people get at each other's throats. The democratic process breaks down and then it eventually gets itself back together. And so it's hard to see the light when you're in the middle of the chaos. It really is. Uh, but you have to have faith that, that it, even though human nature is, is very divisive, there are also parts of us that really do care about one another and want to work together. But the big question is, how do you set that up? You can't force people to come around <clears throat> to your way of thinking. And so what you have to do is set up an atmosphere that allows everyone to get their voice out there and try to put together some kind of common ground. So the first thing you need to do is, is really use representation. So uh, um, Madison in the Federalist Number 10 talked about factionalism, that in a democracy, everybody is going to uh, have their little tribe that, they are, that, they that they're beholden to, and they're just going to argue their point, and they will never be able to, to uh, uh, give up their point of view in order for the greater good to happen. So what he said is that you have to have represent representational government. And so you have representatives of these factions come together because if you've got fewer people and fewer voices uh, that are representing ideas and they're in a face-to-face -face situation where they have to look at each other in the eye and they have to acknowledge each other's humanness, then you can have a negotiation take place. If it's a huge crowd, like a town hall meeting or something, then people are just going to start screaming at each other and it turns into a circus. There's a place for that. But when it comes to policy formation, they need to elect somebody to represent them, and then, and then they come in and you sit around a table. And then you need somebody who's a facilitator or a, or a mediator, and that's where a, a public policy specialist really comes in. Someone who is going to be able to be even-handed, objective, uh, do uh, a technique that's called active listening, where you listen to what the other person is saying and you acknowledge that you're actually understanding what they're saying. So you have little code words that you say like, yes, I understand that, I get that, where you say, I not only am hearing you, I'm understanding you and I care about what you're saying. That sets up a precedent where everyone has an atmosphere of mutual respect. 
Uh, then you have uh, situations where you um, are trying to create a common basis in fact. And this is another place that the, that the public policy person comes in. Somebody makes an assertion, you know, uh, 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 Mexicans are, uh, say, criminals. All right, well, prove it. Okay, it's, it's nice that you think that. Uh, but let's let's actually collect some data on this and prove uh, whether or not Mexicans are criminals. And if you actually run the data, you'll find out that they're as, as peace-loving and law-abiding as the rest of us. And so you 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 temper the emotional extremism with a common basis in fact. You know, and and it's hard to do in the era of fake news, but you you still you you try that. That is actually one of the things that I was going to bring up, and and I'm really interested in that word use, factualism. Mm -hmm. And in this day and age, especially where policy and politics and public policy and all of it uh, is concerned, and especially with people really holding that identity of their political party, it's very close. You know, how did how do you? teach the students in public in the public policy program to kind of wade through that and to battle that fake news um that you that that chant that you yes. know that I, I say it's a philosophy you know I mean you just get inundated with it that if if you don't agree with Trump it's it's fake it's it's automatically fake and you know in his Orwellian comments this last week just it really brings it home. So how are we preparing these students to kind of weigh through that and, and you know, kind of battle the fake news epidemic, so to speak? Well, you know, USAO is a liberal arts institution. You know, not, not liberal in the political sense, but liberal arts in that tradition that goes all the way back to the ancient Greeks. And, and part of that tradition is critical thinking skills. Uh, and that's the ability to uh, weigh evidence and, and come to conclusions that are from the evidence. But really at the basis of critical thinking is what you're talking about. Understanding how human nature is delusional. <laughs> that we, we believe things that aren't real. We don't believe things that are real. Uh, we, will, we will fight uh, for our own delusions and hallucinations all the time because our identity gets caught up in them. Uh, this Trump did not invent this. Uh, he might be taking advantage of it, but he's he's uh, one of a long line of politicians that that does that that takes advantage of this tendency of human nature to become oriented to uh, a particular point of view and to just cling to that for dear life. So I I think one you can train students how to do that, and you can you can show them how to gather evidence, uh, and you can also show them what are the tendencies of human nature that you have to fight against, that create bias, uh, that create sort of a delusional way of looking at the world. And, and once you're aware of those things, you can compensate for them in yourself. Now, that's okay for the student, but you send somebody out into the, the political circus and say, you've got to try to make sense of that, then, then that's a whole different skill set entirely. It's okay if you have been trained to weigh evidence and have this enlightened, uh, logical, rational way of approaching uh, public policy decisions. You cannot depend on anyone else in the world to, to have that as well. And so I, I think a lot of people who go into public policy make the mistake 
of believing that all you have to do is present people with facts and they'll go, oh, wow, I guess I was wrong about that. Thank you for pointing that out. Uh, no, they don't do that at all. In fact, they'll argue against your facts. And, and uh, I, I've seen this play itself out in, in a number of, of uh, a public policy arena. Uh, I, was, uh, I was living in Arlington at one time. And uh, so Arlington, Texas, Arlington, right, Texas. Hey, I lived there yeah. for a really long time. I love Arlington. I, m- I miss Six Flags. Me too. Me I, I just miss Arlington, not Six Flags, because I don't have kids. Oh, but it's fine. yes, but Arlington's nice. So. We're all anyway. kids at heart. Kelly. Yes. Okay. Uh, so they were. They had uh, just gotten funding. This was right after uh, the all the TARP funding came mm-hmm. out. They got funding to make a hike and bike uh, trail system. Uh, and they had the funding together. They had all this data about uh, how it's going to increase uh, public space. It's going to increase the health and well-being of the citizens. It's going to make it more attractive to residents. It's going to raise the the uh, uh, property values and, you know, all this stuff. And then the Tea Party found out about it. And it was amazing how this very simple little thing turned into... World War Three, And so you had the Tea Party people on one side of these town hall meetings and then the bike-friendly people with their yellow shirts on the other side screaming at each other. Nice. And, and so the Tea Party folks came up with this organization they called SOS, Save Our Streets. And, and the way that they, it, there were YouTube videos that came out and there's this guy that was, he was a comic book store owner that was part of it. Uh, Sanders was his name. And he, uh, he was convinced that this was liberal oppression of the people, that they are trying to take away our individual rights to drive cars. They're going to make bike lanes on our streets, which are going to take away our sidewalks and, and our yards. They're going, to, they're going to try to eventually ban automobiles and only have public transportation in this utopian socialist world that, <laughs> that we're obviously cooking up. And, and none of that was real, but yet it mobilized an incredible amount of people. Uh, and, uh, you know, they were using social media and they had a blog and they had all this stuff going on and they compromised that, that whole plan, uh, even though it was funded. But the lesson out of this is that the public administrators who were running this were completely caught by surprise. And they had this very naive idealistic vision that human beings are rational because we're not, we, we can, if we try real hard, we can be rational. But really, you have to negotiate with people's fears. You have to negotiate with their uh, nebulous ideals. You have to negotiate sometimes with their delusions. And you have to acknowledge that you have the right to be upset about this thing. Even though I don't think you have a rational reason for it, you still have a right to be upset. And we can negotiate slowly, uh, away from the panic button, back to some place where we can have some sort of some sort of common ground that comes up out of it, but they weren't able to do that because they were just relying upon rational data analysis as opposed to emotional political discourse. I can see how you would have to. I say propaganda, maybe not propaganda is the right word. Maybe a more friendly ad campaign mm-hmm. or some kind of PR campaign to shift the tides because we are very susceptible to that in in 
just as humans. But now you bring up and you've said a couple of things, but I want to know for those people who are out here and saying public policy, what kind of career can I have in public policy? What, what, what kind of doors does a public policy degree open for students? Well, um, in Oklahoma, the need for skilled people to go into public policy has uh, is I can't say that it's never been higher because I don't know, but we need it now. It's never been higher. All right, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I haven't been I've, here for that yeah, long. I've I've grew up in Oklahoma I mean, and we, it has never been higher. So I mean, and let, so let's talk about that a little bit. So we we have we have a a completely man made budget deficit yes. that we created um, uh, in the nineties. Uh, because we set up a situation where you need three quarters of, of a legislative majority to pass a tax increase, but only a 50% majority to pass a tax decrease. And so the math means that you're just going to keep lowering taxes until you get to the point to where basic services are being threatened. And that's where we're at. Uh, our education system is collapsing. Um, our, our infrastructure is, is showing wear and tear. Uh, we we have um, uh, an overcrowded prison system. We've got a drug abuse problem. We've got healthcare crisis. All these things that are uh, you know part of what makes a society function are are cracking, and and it's because people are thinking with their their hearts and not their minds, okay? and they're thinking in a short sighted view instead of a long long term view. And so in terms of, of what you could do with a public policy degree, specifically from USAO, you know, we're going to teach you economics, uh, which apparently no one, uh, and Katie, of course, is rolling her eyes. Uh, <laughs> I, I, we're going okay. to have to bring the smelling salt Eco- in because I, I think she fainted. <laughs> All right. Listen, I'm not, I'm not a big economics person myself uh, because the math kind of makes me dizzy. Mm-hmm. Uh, nonetheless, you can trace our problems right now in Oklahoma from from people who are making decisions who don't have a clue about basic economic principles. Why ain't that the truth? I'm sorry. Uh, you cannot have good public policy without good fiscal policy. And so we're going to teach you that. It's not easy, but once you've mastered um, fiscal policy, then you have all kinds of doors that open for you in terms of, do you want to go into nonprofit sector? Do you want to go into government? Do you want to do public administration? Um, not only that, but we're going to teach you all the tools that you need to make these uh, um, evaluations of, of what's working in terms of policy and what's not. We're going to teach you sociology methods, how to collect data, how to analyze statistics, all of that stuff. Again, the math is not the most fun thing, if if and if you enjoy math, please come. We will <laughs> we will definitely put you to work. Uh, but it is really necessary. Uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna show you how politics work uh, on the state level and the national level. And uh, we're also going to, and this is unique to our program. We're gonna show you um, how tribal laws and politics work Hallelujah. so that you can you can um, go back out you know we're not interested in training washington lobbyists we want you to come and help oklahoma out and go back into uh into your communities and into your region uh or into uh back to your people and help make your place a better place 
you know that is a that's a really interesting point too because you know there we have 39 tribes yeah. in this in the state of Oklahoma and the state of Oklahoma historically does not have a good relationship with said tribes and and, yes. and so there is a there is a great need for uh, you know public policy uh, people who are trained in public policy to go out for these tribes, and you and and let's be clear, you do not have to be a tribal member to work for tribes, to no. advocate for tribes, to, um, you know, in fact, tribes need non-tribal members to advocate for them, and so if you have a degree in public policy from USAO, that's going to give you the tools to go out and kind of build those bridges, right? Yes. And so now um, tell me about the uh, American Indian com- Studies component because that the actual program was it, it, was it phased out? It, it has been temporarily suspended um, uh, for low enrollment. Ah, you know, and and uh, this is not a problem that's unique to USAO. Enrollment is down in higher education across the board. Um, it's down in Oklahoma significantly. Uh, I, I think the tide is going to start to turn on that, honestly, and hopefully the numbers will come back up. But uh, one of the things that happened with the, the fiscal crisis is that it hit higher education hard. And, of course, a small school like USAO does not have a, a lot of uh, flexibility when it comes to finances. And so I, I'm hoping that that was a temporary situation that will be reconciled here in a couple of years, uh, but I, I can't predict the future. What I can say is that we still have uh, expertise on campus, uh, and uh, we have uh, courses that are available that are going to give you uh, an American Indian, Native American component to a public policy uh, education. And so, Katie, let me talk to you now because... Um, get off your phone, Katie. I know, right? Put your phone down, Katie. Get off Facebook. Get off your, get off your social media. You even should though see her she, in class. It's uh, just, it's just you scandalous. Know. I am pictures for the show. Um, I am working. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's what they all say. But, Sorry, Katie. But seriously, um, on, you know, you're a younger student. Why did you choose public policy? Why does... I mean, and, and what would you say to younger students that are maybe in high school who are why do why do you like this why why public policy i like public policy strictly for knowing that i'm going to be able to enhance the lives of other people especially in the state of oklahoma um i'm not going into like a political science major to where i could go really anywhere but our public policy program just like how dr welch was speaking about we really focus on how we're going to do numerous fantastic changes, hopefully, Mm -hmm. in the future to the state, which is desperately needed. Um, I actually was not originally a uh, public policy major in the beginning. Um, I actually believe Mm -hmm. I was the first one. You were. Check that out. The pioneer. pioneer. uh, Lots of of folks tried to talk you out of it, even. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So there you go. So you so you stayed through, and now you're about to graduate. Yep. And so where what are you planning on doing? I mean, are you going to just go and can we vote for you for governor and in in 2022? <laughs> or <laughs> I actually have a lot of people telling me that I should run for governor. And I'd vote I for you. Votes, you'd have my so. vote. <laughs> you would have my vote too. But but really, I mean, what what are you? What is your next plan? What are your? What is? What do you think? 
Um, well, I graduate USAO most likely next fall, so fall 2019. Yeah, that's right. And then um, I did think about joining the Peace Corps, which is kind oh. of off my off the tracks, but I think that will also kind of help me launch into seeing other global issues and what yeah. other people will face. Yep. Not just strictly for Oklahoma, but you see other things that you really need mm-hmm. to get out and look at. Then I plan to go hopefully to get my master's and what I have no idea. I'm thinking either public administration or continue a public policy career. Well, good for you. And see, that's that's what I like to hear, especially since, you know, we do have young people that are out there motivated. We just have to get them to USAO and get them into the public policy. And, and I, I what, what really warms my heart is to see the millennials getting involved in the political mm-hmm. fight for 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 November. And so what do you tell these these younger people who aren't involved or who may not think that they matter, that their vote counts? What do you tell them? How do you encourage them to to get out and and vote and cha- and change some of this stuff? Well, if I'm because when you're 18, you know, you're still in high school. Um, what I would tell an average 18-year-old is to a, you know, check your sources when you see a, you know, Fox News or a CNN article, make sure that that's a credible source. Mm-hmm. And they're making sure. Or just some random United Nation, not United Nation, but some weird dot com. Mm-hmm. Make sure that's a right source because on any different kind of side that you are, whether, whether that be Republican or Democrat, you need to make sure that that's who you want to vote for. And that to go vote is a thing that the United States is unique for. I mean, we, yes, other nations in the world is are allowed to vote, but this is your, in a sense, God-given right. You are going to get to pick the leaders of the free world or just state, local, federal, so on. And that's, that's a privilege. I think it's really important to point out, too, that the the local elections are the ones that affect your daily life. Mm-hmm. Those are mm-hmm. the ones that, that you really need to get out there and lend your voice to and vote. When, you, when the mayor comes up, when the school board comes up, county commissioners, those are the, really the people who affect your daily life. But it's just as important to vote for everybody else. And you need to do your research. For sure. Especially. Now, Dr. Welch, um, let's get back a little bit to the curriculum and uh, when, if, if a student wanted to uh, enroll or get more information about the public policy program at USAO, who do they contact? What do they do? Oh, sure. Um, you know, before, before I kind of get into that, um, you know, we're talking about millennials now. Remember when we were their age, Kelly? No. <laughs> I don't. It seems a million years well, ago. From, no. from, from what I recall, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you hit this certain point, like right, right around 16, 17, 18, where suddenly the veil is lifted. Yes. And you realize how screwed up the world is. Yes. And uh, what usually um, comes up out of that is just a sense of like, like um, aimless anger and frustration that you either internalize or you externalize and getting angry at things that you can have no control over. And it's all this energy that's just sort of blowing up here and there without any real purpose to it. You want to change the world, but the world is too big. You don't know where to start. And so you end up abusing your parents, you know, or whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever happens to be at hand. And 
And so I, I think one of the things that we can do, and, and I wish I had had these, these options when I was younger, is, you know, we can give you skills, mm-hmm. you know, that where you could, you know, you're going to have to calm down a little bit, but and channel that into what can you actually change. And not only will, will we uh, uh, teach you the skills you need to make changes, where you can make them, which is locally, in your backyard, and then incrementally up from there, we'll not only give you the skills, we'll also help you get the connections. Mm-hmm. Because we will we'll send you out on um, uh, internships. I know, Katie, you've been to... I've done internships. Yeah, what, yeah. Uh, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Um, let's say last summer I worked for a nonprofit for our lieutenant governor. Awesome. Um, who actually ran for a gubernatorial um candidate mm-hmm. and uh this past summer i worked for a u.s congressman so yeah so there's opportunities yeah. everywhere and that is the main thing mm-hmm. too that i think younger people i mean even in their 30s and 20s and you know they don't understand how valuable those face-to-face connections yeah. are and it's it's all electronic nowadays and man getting out there and actually meeting people that is going to become an actual skill like mm-hmm. an it's it's already a skill these you know because we're losing those social skills so um the the part about the connections and gaining those connections that is invaluable and it it doesn't matter you know what your burning passion is it is it the environment is it homelessness is it is it uh not is it some sort of nonprofit? is it left wing right wing up down red purple blue it doesn't matter you know uh as long as you're you, you know uh you have a burning passion to try to make the world a better place you know we will hook you up uh, and give you some real-world experience. And, you know, of course, Oklahoma is a very close-knit network. And so once you get into that network, uh, you can really find your, yourself into some good spots. And so uh, there's all kinds of opportunities. Uh, if you want to do sustainability projects, homelessness, or poverty, or you name it. So I think the, the place to start is to contact me. So that's J Welch, J-W-E-L-C-H at usao.edu and i will get you to wherever you need to be um you can you can look me up on usao's website call my office we'll talk and i'd be more than happy to to help you and so we have um uh you just have to go through the administ uh, the admission process to usao and um just a couple of things about usao in general that i think are, are relevant this is a a small university where you are not lost in the crowd. Mm, We're less than a thousand people. Yeah. It says in, and we're a family. We take care of each other and we know each other. Sometimes that can be a bad thing, but nonetheless, it's, it's good because we will keep you on track. You'll have a lot of one-on-one with your professors. Mm -hmm. You will not get lost. And so um, it is It is a unique educational environment here in Oklahoma. It's something that I'm very, very grateful to be a part of and something that I really work hard to maintain. And the campus is beautiful. It is. And we're actually relatively cheap compared to other universities. I think we're the second or third cheapest. In- it's a bargain. Yeah. Especially in this day and age when our higher uh, higher education institutions are are funded at nineteen ninety nine dollars. Yes, it's true. So, um, but that is that's a whole other thing. That's a whole other (laughs) thing that you're going to have to come back and talk to us about. Hopefully, you will. Economics. Um, (laughs) Our guest today for the Sunday Social is Dr. James Welsh IV. He is an associate professor of history at the University of Science and Arts of Oklahoma, and the leader of the public policy program. He's the advisor. And if you 
you want more information about the things that we talked about, how you can make a difference in Oklahoma and in Oklahoma politics, give him a, a shout out over the email. It's J-W-E-L-C-H at USAO.edu. Um, and then you can always go on the USAO website and find out that information and find out his contact information. They've got a whole page about the public policy program and the curriculum. And uh, so if you have any questions about that, please feel free to uh, contact Dr. Welsh and uh, he'll give you that information. Dr. Welsh, Katie, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us today. Thank you. Let's do it again. Yes, Absolutely. sir. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.